Before we start this episode, I just want to take a moment to tell you about another project that I do called Stand Up Tragedy, which is a live show and podcast. Our next live show is going to happen at the Leicester Square Theatre on the 7th of May. The format of the show is going to be different this time. It's going to be longer and it will start at 8.30. Since we've got more time, we're going to pack in a lot more acts and an interval. Tickets cost £10. Go to www.standuptragedy.co.uk to buy tickets. If you do book online, use the promo code TRAGIC because that will offset your booking fees. I think for some people it'll even mean a reduction, but it really depends on what your ticket would cost normally. I'm also looking for people who want to expand their portfolios by coming along and taking some photographs or shooting some video for us or maybe even recording some audio and getting involved with the podcast making process. I'm looking for people who want to come along and do that stuff for free but obviously we'll give you as much publicity as we can and we will also link to your stuff as much as possible. I'll be there at the night. I'm the compare. I'm the host. So if anybody is thinking, oh well I love that Getting Better Acquainted podcast and you live in London and you want to be a part of this show come along and then if you meet me then you qualify to come on the show and so you can say hi Dave you don't know me I'm this person I'd like to be on your show now because we have now become acquainted and I'm kind of obliged to uh, to, to record a conversation with you so hopefully see you there although coming along to stand up tragedy doesn't mean that you have to be on this show you can just come along to enjoy a night of music comedy short stories true stories performance and more keith didn't want to go <laughs> he's like you can't go to the car boot so you're in labor and i was um i was just going no i'd be brilliant i can just stop in between you know i'll stop when i have a contraction then we can go and have a look be fun the episode that you're about to hear references a bunch of other conversations that I've had doing Getting Better Acquainted, but because this show doesn't come out in chronological order, only some of them have aired yet. Sam's episode, GBA 18, is one that I really recommend you listen to if you enjoy the episode you're about to hear. One of the things that Sam talked about was having a premature baby, and quite a lot of the episode that you're just about to hear is about the experience of giving birth if you're a new mum or you're somebody who might be a new mum or you're somebody who might like to understand what it's like to be a new mum check out an independent podcast that I enjoy called the longest shortest time which is a podcast and blog about the initial experience of being a new parent so it's about birth it's about the response of mums and dads to giving birth and about that longest shortest time it's a really good name i think this isn't some kind of sponsorship i'm just a fan giving a recommendation you can find the longest shortest time at longest shortest time.com i'm dave i'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together i need to get better please make me better I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. Today, we're getting better acquainted with Sonia. (laughs) Hello, Sonia. Hello. So the first question that I ask people is, how do you know me? 
<laughs> you are my buncle. Buncle. My baby uncle. My uncle, <laughs> what is younger than me? That's right. Yeah, you're my uncle. <laughs> there you go, a baby one. Yeah, you always used to call me, yeah, your buncle. I think that started when you lived in Wales. Yeah. That was the age when I became aware of you as a playmate, I think. Yeah. And I remember being very conscious you were younger than me, but you were my uncle, and that, that was weird. Yeah, it's interesting, because <laughs> I could have felt a bit babied by the concept of being called a buncle. There's certainly at times in the family <laughs> I felt like the baby of the family, within this side of the family anyway. Mm. But for some reason I didn't. I mean, I, I still find it really endearing. Mm. I, I really like it. I would call I would call myself your buncle. Like I don't it, think I ever meant it in a way that was meant to kind of, um, you know, exactly. You, no, exactly. Actually. It was more of a kind of fond. No, exactly, like, and that's like how a it, nickname. And that's how I took yeah. it, and that's how you meant yeah. it, and I guess that's why I took it that way. <laughs> oh. It's a funny thing because you're a bit older than me, mm. so like I've always sort of thought of you as a really cool aunt <laughs> rather than a niece. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I totally understand that point. My half brother and half sister are much younger than me, and I remember my dad once said referred to me as their auntie and even he felt you know I think when you have people in your family who are much younger than you whatever their relation you know often yeah. sometimes it's a bit of a well, the uncle, strange situation but it feels more like that if they're a lot older than you. The uncle auntie thing that's what it signifies doesn't yeah. it a kind of person who's not your parents who's older than you yeah. who kind like of it, looks out for you yeah. and looks and sort of teaches you stuff that your parents can't teach you and yeah. I guess you kind of did that for me, I think. Oh, to a thank you very extent. much. I mean, <laughs> um, are you sure I didn't? You know, yeah. I'm not sure I taught you. I think you were, you know, you were, you were a teenager, and mm. so you were like a cool teenager. Yeah, and I guess at the time I was kind of doing cool teenager things and going out to clubs. And yeah, exactly. Gigs and into. You took. I think I remember you one time. You were ill, and you took, but you and you were drinking. <laughs> Orange juice and Coca-Cola, and you told me flat Coca-Cola and orange juice, warm orange juice is the way to, to the, the drinks to drink when you're ill. Really? I, I found that to be the case. I thought that I think you were right. If you, if, oh, I was drinking them separately. Yeah, they're not mixed not together. Mixing. Not mixed together. <laughs> I was thinking I've never. What? This is. No, that's no. not a hangover cure I remember. But 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 you <laughs> were ill. But you took me to the cinema anyway, and Aww. you took me to see Beavis and Butthead. The movie, <laughs> and there was a song in it by the Butthole Surfers, oh, yeah, and then you gave me Electric Larry Land by the Butthole Surfers, which I love. I love that <laughs> album so much album. to this day. It's, yeah. it's one of my favourite. Actually, it's been a long favorite. time since I've listened to that. It's a great album. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. A, oh, it's, uh, no, that is, now you describe it like that, see, I do sound pretty cool. But that's the kind of thing, that's the kind <laughs> yeah. of thing it was, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, how old was I then? Go I'm not sure. I guess you probably were like 16, 17 or something. Yeah. I guess you were in this house because we're in your in old room. my room! Which this is, is weird. weird. Yeah. And now it's kind of my my study, kind of place where I record <laughs> all my music. It's kind of cool, I'm, you know, I'm liking that it's, it's taken on a real different form. Yeah. But it's still... I mean, I said to you when I came up here, it feels much smaller. But I don't know, maybe it's just because you've got a lot of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> or that's it could just be that I'm bigger, like you said. You yeah, know, yeah, sort of that you're an adult, really. Yeah, well, yeah, I suppose. And it's yeah, it's <laughs> weird to think of ourselves as adults, but I yeah. think we both are. I mean, well, I think had, when I had kids, it made me. Feel, yeah. You know, I think you feel like a grown up when you well, I'm walking down the road with children, and and I think people you sort of think, oh, people don't see me as that cool teenager anymore. Maybe that's a little yeah. bit of it, you know. Yeah, but I still do because I. Yeah. I, that's how yeah. I. Yeah, deep down, I knew. yeah, obviously. And I don't think you've there. changed. 
Mine's and I think that, that maybe life means that you have to make different decisions and different choices, yeah, but so you're still the same my person. Time has changed. Exactly. Well, I'm the yeah, same. I don't do the same stuff. Exactly. I go to work and all of these things that I never factored into mm. my life when I was a teenager. And I, and I wish I wish actually, I had no, I that did, kind I of freedom. Work. I actually, I did still. work when I was a teenager. Well, I, I, I worked. Yeah, but it was beer money, wasn't it? Though to a certain extent, my mind was when yes, I worked. When I was of course, a teenager. it was. But yeah, no, I really wanted to work from the age of fourteen. I I sought out a job. But you when felt I was the benefits of that money. Yeah, but I think when I wanted the job, it wasn't because I wanted money. I wanted a job. Job and occupied that, and time. Um, I just, um, although I kind of was intellectually quite capable at school. Yeah felt like I wanted to go and work, learn a trade. Yeah. I think life got in the way, but actually I think if I'd stuck at it, I would have probably, you know, it's been doing it now. You know, I could still see, you know, I, like I said, I was 14 and I just, um, I was at school and I desperately wanted a Saturday job um, and I wanted to be a florist. So I phoned up all the florists in the Yellow Pages and they all said no you're too young and then um, one woman phoned me back and said yeah I was so impressed with you on the phone come down for an interview that's that right you it. were a florist weren't you yeah. for quite a, quite for four a years, few years and yeah. it was in this really small little shop but the woman had been really classically trained so I was really lucky the first year all I did was wire reeds and I remember being on a night bus on the way home from a club like literally kind of almost hallucinating myself wiring reeves because I've been doing it all day you know and you know when you do something over and over again yeah. and, kind of, and then it's just in your head yeah yeah, um, yeah. so I did that I've issued books in my dreams yeah, when I yeah. used to work in a library yeah and it was it was yeah exactly those kind of monot- Re- repetitive yeah. daily things and then yeah she just kind of I think saw something in me that she thought mm, maybe this girl's trainable and just let me loose really and gave me more and more interesting things to do funeral work and weddings and in the end, we would, we did some stuff for fashion shows, you know, wow. big, amazing arrangements. Yeah, it was really cool. What did you, I mean, like that job. And what did you like about it? Was it the kind of creativity or the structure? I liked it. It what? was physical. Yeah. I really liked physically doing lots of hard work. You know, you have to... You don't sort of think about it, really. But in a florist, you have to clean every vase every day, you know, scrub it out, new water, cut all the flowers. You know, you have yeah. to... Uh, <laughs> remember, when it was Valentine's Day, we had to dethorn, you know, 2,000 roses. So wow. you get each individual rose with a knife, the floristry knife. You have to literally hack off each tiny little thorn and make them thornless, you know, so that when you sell them, they don't cut people. Yeah. So I like the fact it was physical. I loved the creativity. I liked the fact I was interacting with people. I've always kind of been good at jobs where I have Social to interact element, and, yeah. um, you know, good host, you know, done bar work, being a good hostess and stuff you like that. You throw good parties. <laughs> yeah, I hope, like to, hope, I hope you do. so. You do. Um, That's a definite, yeah. in my opinion. Oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I think also the, the social element in terms of you're dealing with people at the very pinnacles and lows of their lives. So you deal with wedding days, which yeah. are you know important to people for all sorts of varying reasons, actually. Yeah. You know, some of it's about showing off and, you know, so other people it's about, you know, yeah, this is the having year. a lovely day, you uh, know. This whatever. is the year of weddings. It's, I'm, yeah. like, I'm going to be 30 <laughs> this year. Everyone's getting married, you know, so funny. I'm going to so many of them. None of my mates really are married. Yeah. Well, interesting. But Some it, of them are. Yeah, it is interesting. It was weddings and then, you know, funerals or guilty husbands as well. That was quite a good oh, one. I bet. You know. And mm. you'd be able to rinse them for loads of money, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like get loads of, you sell them a really big bunch of flowers, you know, because they're feeling guilty they've been to the pub or, you know, you could always tell the, guilt, the guilty but then you, person coming home. To and them. you would have also got people who, 
going on their first date or yeah. whatever, things like that. Like, yeah. I guess you were seeing all... Buying a bunch of flowers for a special thing, really. Yeah. And if you're the kind of... I mean, I don't think the, the people who are coming home late from the pub to buy their wines a bunch of flowers. No. They, they, and that's why you could rinse them. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Well, but, you're seeing um, the lows and, yeah, you know, people, the, the best and the worst buying of buying them for genuine yeah. reasons. I mean, the act of giving flowers, in a way, is quite strange. Yeah, I've always thought it's an um, odd one. Jen really likes flowers. Some people really don't like cut flowers, I guess, they signify something dying, you know. It's kind of... My personal thing is, you know, everything's dying from the minute it's minute it's formed. Yeah, it's dying. It's true. But anyway, I mean, I just think they're beautiful things to have around, and yeah. I think you know they are a really nice way of, of making a gesture to someone. So I guess absolutely. I well, I, I buy gem flowers every few years oh. because I think if you do it all the time, it kind of yeah. loses its specialness. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, kind definitely. of you. You can't stop that happening to the word love. That that you can't. You know, when we first started going out, we were try, We tried not to say it too much because we didn't want to devaluate it. Yeah, and absolutely. I, I think it just it does. You can't stop that. But with flowers, you can you can have that be the the word yeah. love. Like you can make it as special as that. I reckon. I think the word love is it's a word, isn't it? Yeah. For me, it's about you know all the other stuff. That... It's the tone that oh, makes yeah. it special. I think so. It still can be magical. And even the when context it's... in which that yeah. that word is offered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. <laughs> it has to be cushioned by lots of other things yeah, that it's make the you context. feel loved. Absolutely. The other question that I ask people, which I haven't asked you yet, which is, mm. is what do you do now? Oh. It's one of those awkward. You were. Party how would you describe questions. me? Uh, housewife, stay-at-home mum. You know, one of those boring things. I do guess you, um, in between like, jobs, maybe. No, do you, I don't really do you like, like those that. Teams? Not that it particularly bothers me having a label. I just feel that that label might not. I mean, you say to people, "Oh, I'm a stay-at-home mum." And, and you sort of, as it comes out, you feel the stigma attached to it. Yet people always say, oh, that's the hardest job in the world. You know, yeah, it, it really bloody is, you know. But Well, um, I work um, in children's centres yeah. and nurseries. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and ask any of the no, staff there, it's a hard job, right? Yeah. And you're doing yeah. that one-on-one. It is on a hard one job. It's a hard job because well, it's, two, two well, it's children, quite so. a suffocating relationship, really. Having a baby, you know, breastfeeding... Uh, and then to, to be with them every day, all day, every day. Yeah. And for, for you to be their kind of sole thing that makes them feel okay. Yeah. Um, and I'm not the sole thing. She has a father, of course, yeah, you know. Course. But when, when you're the person who's there you're the day in there. and day out. Yeah. And actually, as they get older, I found this with Jessica, the older one, um, that she, as they get older, it becomes less of a kind of, we call it mummy find. It's less mother-focused, you know. She can accept comfort from other people far far more easily. But... Yeah, it's quite suffocating sometimes being with a, a small person who just constantly requires, you know, feeding yeah. attention. And, you know, it's hard to work out what they want a lot of the time. I mean, yeah. at least now... It's easier she, if you spend a lot of time got, with them, though. Now, well, now she speaks, you yeah. can you can find out what she wants yeah. more, but ba- babies are very... Yeah. Very hard to work out. Mothers are probably better at working out what their children I think, um, think than I, I, I am. But... I think babies are easier. I think... The first one, no, I didn't feel like that. You know, having okay. the first baby, I felt it was like the most complicated and terrifying thing. Yeah. Uh, and that really carried on until I had the second one and realised, oh, actually, I know how to do this. Yeah. And it's not that bad. And it will pass. My mantra at the moment is, it will pass. You know, when you have a two-year-old, you have to kind of constantly remind yourself that they won't always be in that horrible and that's phase so where they're true, driving yeah. you nuts and you feel like crying. Um, well, that's what, I tell, away. that's what I tell mums at Baby Rhyme Times, because <laughs> yeah. I get a lot of mums. I mean, that's... You do feel at the end of your tether, but oh, I had I a friend who once said to me, like, yeah. every, every change you want to make to a toddler's life, it will take three days to see through that change. So 
if it's a bedtime change to you know what you want them to do at bedtime I don't know taking away their bottle or doing whatever you know it takes three days and the first day is the most terrible disastrous awful you know heart-wrenching headache inducing day yeah and then day two is kind of all right and then day three is really awful and then day by, by day four it's you know sorted and they, they accept it. But yeah, you, she's raging against the, the little one, just rages against the machine all the time at the moment, and it's just very stressful. Well, that, 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 I mean, that's that's the other thing that you don't think. Like, every person, every child's got a different personality, and so every oh, child yeah. will be different. So you yeah, learn from yeah, the first yeah. one, and, and I think you had, a, yeah, like you say, you had a better... You bet. You, you had a be, She was probably better when she, she was a baby for you because you'd already oh. learned... Yeah, the and skills. also her birth was easier. Yeah, and I mean, with Jess, uh, number one, I was a new mum, but num- number two, I'd been through this traumatic situation when she was actually born. I mean, I delivered her normally, but uh, it was a she, very long labour. It was a wasn't well, it? no, I mean, it was twenty-four hours. Okay. It wasn't that bad, to be so honest it, with you. I well, just twenty-four I just, hours is a long labour to no, me. But, I'm but, never going to be <laughs> in that situation. No, no, no. So it was geez. a long labour, um, but I didn't cope with it. I didn't. I got very scared very early on. Yeah, kind of went into hospital. I mean, you don't know what to expect. So I went into hospital and, and perhaps I should have stayed at home longer and I should have walked around more. And it, you know, in retrospect, I know all of these things. But I got very scared and we went to hospital and I was in a fairly good mood. It was about two in the afternoon and I was okay. I was coping with the contractions and everything was okay. But they were coming quickly, but they weren't very strong. And then by seven in the evening, I was literally kind of writhing around in agony. And I said to them, I'd like an epidural. And they said, well, you've said on your birth plan you don't want an epidural. You know, do you really want one? And I said, yeah, I do. And she said, well, go and have a bath and you might feel better, you know. Go and have a little sit in the bath and try and relax and, and then come and tell me whether you definitely want this. And they put me in this bath. It was a normal-sized bath. In fact, quite a small sort of, you know, seemed like a small... Obviously, I was big and pregnant. But literally, it had a concertina door a foot away from where the bath was right. into the main corridor of the labour ward. So there were hundreds of people walking up and down. And if anybody opened the door... You know, there I was in the bath, fully exposed in my pregnant state, riding around in that. agony. So that really stressed me out more. So then I said, look, I really do want an epidural. So they gave me an epidural and it kind of slowed everything down. But at least then I could sleep over that evening because I hadn't had much sleep. Keith and I had been watching the World Cup. The, uh, England won the World Cup the day before uh, in rugby. Yes. Right. And we watched that and I hadn't gone to bed till one in the morning. And then I'd woken up at four with contraptions. And then I got into hospital, and then by this point it was the evening, and I said, I need to sleep, I can't cope with this, because it wasn't progressing. So they gave me an epidural, and I managed to sleep over uh, on and off through the night. And then at six, she was born, but it, I started pushing at about four in the morning. At 4.30, I think it was. And I don't really think I needed to. <laughs> oh, right. In retrospect, I was just, I'd had enough. I just wanted the baby wanted out. out. I was just like, oh, I don't know, I need to push. But actually, in retrospect, perhaps I should have not started pushing so early. But yeah, it took an hour and a half. And, you know, it should take sort of 20 minutes, 40 yeah, minutes max, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. to, to push the baby out. And then eventually her head came out and they realised that her cord was around her neck twice. Oh, God. And that was pulling, obviously, every time I was, you know, pushing her she was, was being pulled back in oh it was God. like also she pooed in the womb which meant that her mouth was filled with meconium which is like the first poo like nine months worth of poo oh, <laughs> like dear. in her mouth and normally what they would do is clear the mouth but because they were dealing with her cord and they couldn't they can't just cut it they have to literally unhook it from around the baby they dealt with that and then the first thing she did was take a deep breath and she inhaled all this shit on oh, her lungs God. and then her body was born and by this point I mean I was exhausted didn't really know what was going on all I knew was that while this cord thing was going on and I think Keith and my mum have told me this because they were both there 
they were trying to press buttons and buttons weren't working and they were trying to call doctors and it was all like really stressful mm. and literally as as her body was bought they just sort of wiped her on my leg and took her away and that was it like, you know nobody knew what was going on and I don't really remember what happened after that but I do remember mum going out into the corridor and standing next to a room where there was a couple of babies kind of under oxygen and this woman came up to her and said, you can't stand there. And she said, well, no, my daughter's in there. She's had a baby and no one will tell her what's happened to her baby. You know? And I was like yeah, lying yeah. there going, what? <laughs> what's going on? And then they said, oh, she's okay. We've got her on oxygen. You know, she's got a problem breathing because she's, she's breathing all this poo, la la. And then I remember being left for ages. Keith went out and made all the phone calls, you know. Yeah, yeah, Mum yeah. went home because she wanted to leave us alone to spend, you know, to, to be together. I remember just being alone in the room and just thinking, what? <laughs> What's just happened to me? Yeah. And then a doctor brought her in all wrapped up and said, look, you know, she's not, her breathing's still not good, so we're going to take her up to special care. I remember looking at this doctor and saying, can I hold her? You know, because no one at this point had actually given me my baby. And then she was in special care for three days and I was in hospital on a ward. I was actually in a private room, but next to a ward, I could hear other people's babies crying, you know, and I had all the mad emotions of a you know yeah, a new just, mother but yeah. with no baby there to kind oh, of God. you know distract me and I had to go and see her in a little incubator upstairs but and I you know lots of women have to go home and leave their babies in in special care so I, you know I don't say for a minute that it was the worst but it was fairly traumatic hearing all the other babies crying well I, I think though there are, I mean there are so many different ways that people have babies and it's <clears> different experience they're all valid they're all you know I mean I talked to somebody who had a a, you know a, a premature baby that was oh, you know and on, on this so show and yeah and that that was a yeah that a really yeah. hard experience but I mean it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean you know that this wasn't didn't have an impact on the way you feel about no no no, your, no but and, know, and actually I think it was um, someone once said to me this strange hippie woman I knew who had a placenta planting party um <laughs> but yeah she's another story altogether yeah um but she once said to me it's like post-traumatic stress women who have bad experiences when they give birth you know that there is a form yeah, of post-traumatic I think so. so and going back to why I started <laughs> launching into my birth story about Jess was that actually after that I was really stressed um when it came to her very anxious m- more so than I needed to be I mean actually also what happened was that we, we were um, let out of hospital on the fifth day and she was okay but then we got home and then she threw up a load of blood all over the thing you know so it was just we had some really awful experiences well it's kind her. of it's kind of i mean those those Very kind scary. of things are quite scary yeah. exactly yeah. i mean anybody throwing up blood is scary but if it's a newborn <laughs> baby, baby you just come from her you know been in this little bubble in hospital and everything's been really <laughs> monitored and everything and suddenly you go home and this happened so that was awful but then lily it she her birth just absolved all of that it, it was just it was a magical thing it was beautiful um, wasn't it, it was a, I, remember I went yeah i went in to be induced she was like 12 days late and they said no we're going to induce you and i went in it was like eight o'clock in the morning and they said oh we can't do it now because we've got to check what needs doing on the wall you know it's like so you've got to wait and about nine thirty, i remember saying to keith oh, I did, I mean, I, something's not right you know i don't know if i might be having contractions and it went on and they were regular, you know, and then they monitored me and then they said, yeah, you're in labour. So that was really cool. This is going naturally. And then um, I walked around in the hospital for ages. I said to, they said, go for a walk. So I walked around and I wanted to go to the car boot sale. <laughs> Keith didn't want to go. It's like, you can't go to the car boot sale, you're in labour. And I was, um, I was just going, no, I'd be brilliant. I can just stop in between, you know, I'll stop when I have a contraction and then we can go and have a look, be fun. But he wouldn't let me. And then we went back and... Um, 
and they said, oh, you know, you, you're a natural labour, you can go down to the labour ward. And there just so happened to be a water birthing suite available and there just so happened to be a, a midwife on that was trained to do it. And you'd wanted a water birth oh, before you went in. Yeah, I mean, there's only two birthing pools at WIPS, so you're really lucky if you, if you number one, if there's one free, but also to have a midwife that's trained because it's very rare. I talked to a midwife friend of mine recently. She said you have to observe five, then you have to, you know, take part in another so many and oh, then wow. I think it's five you have to observe anyway but you know it's really tricky because you might not be on shift you know it's difficult to train midwives because they do these shifts and you know if there's yeah, the opportunity's yeah. not there you can't do it anyway just so happened to have this woman on on and the labor came on you know really really quite quickly and there were five midwives present when she came and she wow, and her head, yeah and it was amazing being in the water it was just magical because no one can touch you so you're just you can sit you can be you know be however you want to be no one can mess with you and her head came out and she took I don't know if you know this when babies heads come out they're facing towards your your bottom yeah. your back bum, yeah, and yeah, they yeah. turn their heads and then the rest of them comes yeah, yeah and she turned her head and looked up at all these five midwives I just remember it you know it's like so you have a mad movie like really bizarre she turned her head and opened her eyes and blinked at them and oh, just went oh these midwives they don't breathe until you touch them okay. um so when their head comes out you're not allowed to touch their head because if you do it will cause them to take a breath take a breath they? yeah so her head came out and then you know next couple of contractions her body came and then then the, the midwives can't touch her you have to pull them up onto your chest and that was she was wriggling oh, around it was amazing wow. it was an amazing moment um, still, I thought she was a boy as well. <laughs> and you were <laughs> still attached by the by, by the, the cord, um, yeah. Cord the cords, yeah. And and actually, wow. no one really talks about that. That's like the worst bit, you know. That's all kind of they they. So the baby comes out, and the, um, she was there, and then Keith got to cut the cord, and then you have to deliver the placenta, which is really horrible. Yeah, <laughs> we don't really want to go down that no, road. <laughs> no, well, I mean, you know, no, it's it's, it's, it's fairly that. horrific. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just it was the most amazing experience ever. And then Big Sister came and that was, you know, and then I was alone with her in the ward and it was such an, an abstract and new thing to have this totally newborn thing with me because Jess hadn't been with you me. You hadn't had that the first time. Yeah, and it was there was no one on the ward, it was totally silent and there was no one there. It was just me and her, it was amazing. It was oh, an amazing okay. night, yeah, really amazing. I remember coming out of the ward with her because I was a bit worried that there was something, she was coughing up some stuff and I was like, oh, what's that? Because obviously I, did, I, wasn't, I didn't know what happens to babies when they no, first born, yeah. but you know, obviously stuff gets in their lungs when, as they come out, yeah. or from the nine months when they're developing, I guess. But um, I came out into this dark corridor and it, you know, the midwife looked surprised to see me, like she didn't know I was there, it was really bizarre. But so relaxed and so, so different. And we came home the next day, you know, it was amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did you always want to be a mother? don't think so. I don't know. <laughs> I always thought if, I've always thought if I did, I'd like boys because they, you know, they're much simpler than girls, I think. Most boys are. I wouldn't say you are. <laughs> um, That's a, a fair point. <laughs> and I wouldn't say granddad. I mean, you know, there are certain, no, I'm not certain boys boy. who are not simple in those ways. Well, I think that in some ways I'm quite female and that's the ways I'm complicated. It depends on your experiences as well. And having a dad like yours and... Yeah, you are complicated. I had a complicated childhood. You had a complicated life. Yeah. yeah. But then, I mean, everyone's life is complicated in different ways. And everyone deals with complications in different Definitely. ways. I mean, you could have my personal, responded very differently well, my to point, your circumstances. I think I could have done. But I think a lot of it is it's to do with how you... So a lot of it... So I had certain genetic things where yeah. I am... In, and so... 
because of that, the way I responded to the complex complexities of childhood. You were predisposed to respond the way that you Yeah, yeah I guess so. But it, I mean, in some ways I survived my childhood very well, and in some ways it made me complicated. Mm. And, you know, that's but so I, it is. Yeah, it's so interesting. It is it, um, it is interesting. And you've got girls, two mm. lovely I wanted girls. Two boys, my my great, nieces, yeah, your great nieces, which is yeah. a crazy thing to have when you're yeah. 30. Well, that comes from being a bunker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it is mad. And I mean, obviously, I had Jess when I was 26, and I had Lily when I was 31. Well, I don't know. Yeah, 31, 32. And that's quite young, really, yeah. I think. Not a lot of my friends have got babies, and that's quite complicated. Because, you know, I said earlier, not a lot of them are married. And, you know, so I think we were quite alternative as teenagers. And quite, most of my friends have continued to be quite I was going to say, because it's quite luck of the draw. Because I've got two, two of my really close friends have got two children. Yeah. My little sister is, has got a, yeah, a daughter. Of course, yeah. It just depends what friendship group mm. you're in. And what's interesting, I think, about your friendship group, because I, I inter- interviewed Jessica Green. Did you? Yeah, and Liam. Wicked. I've actually got two of your friendship oh, group before fantastic. I got you. They're interesting people they're, to talk to. They're fantastically to. interesting yeah, yeah, people yeah. to talk yeah. to. You've all stayed, this, like, a, yeah. it's a big group. We are a good And it's from yeah. school. And you all well, live near each other Well, I wasn't at school with them, still. actually. Okay. I wasn't at school with any of them. I, funnily enough, Jessica Green <laughs> lived in this house. Yeah, yeah. Years before my mum. My mum didn't buy it off her parents, but, um, you know, a couple of you know owners before was her parents. That's right, she said that, I think. Um, and actually, we, got, we were mates. We were best mates at playgroup. Like, really, really good mates at playgroup when we were three. And then we didn't see each other for until we were 15. And she came round here. I think my mum had a party or something. She came round here and we hung out in this very room. Wow. Um, and rekindled our friendship. And then she was at the school up the road, which was a mixed school. I was actually at a girls' school. So I just started hanging around with her and her mates, really. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, we were all mates from there. And I, every Christmas I have them over for a Christmas soiree. Oh, nice. So, yeah, I mean, we do see each other. Some some more regularly than others. I mean, I'm definitely saying I see Jess a lot. You know, there's there is funny thing, friends. Isn't it? But you all still go out, you know. We do, and yeah. do occasional things all together. Yeah, and or we see all... each other at Christmas. Exactly, and you live relatively close to each other. Yes. it's quite rare. I mean, I I'm only really close friends with. Well, I would say I'm. I see regularly two friends from school, yeah. and I would like to see regularly. You know, say five or six but most I've got less from my actual school oh yeah 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 but from yeah. that age yeah, from teenage course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like because actually I mean they did they were in my school but they weren't in my year my oh, right. so it was okay. a they we my friends and I days, mates. Yeah. yeah became friends in odd ways yeah. too I think a lot of the time the lasting ones are the ones that start in a you know roundabout way because you choose each other don't yeah, you yeah of course that's yeah. the thing maybe yeah. that explains why you guys I think, have stayed yeah, I just, friends I think other people who come into our friendship group find it quite difficult sometimes like girlfriends or boyfriends of people you know I think that's really quite difficult and I don't think we mean to you know it's not like you know it's a strange thing sort of being cliquey yeah you, you know, can't you help don't it mean ha- to because happens, you just know everyone. each other so yeah. well yeah we, we kind of all love each other but all, you know we all hate each other and have our own uh, Issues as well. Well, I'm that's sure right. that's well. Friends are like family, aren't they? They are, and that's if why, you're that's why we enough. stay together. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Well, the, the people I went to school with, they they know me best in some ways, but it, that means that sometimes it can be fraught. Yeah, especially uh, you know the issues you had then, and not the issues 
or you may have dealt with them on yeah. the and then well, they're bringing a, sort of stuff back well, home. Well, I was or... in a band with them as well, so there's, there's lots <laughs> yeah, of, there's... I mean, there's a creative, we've had a, me and my, my, one of my best friends, Alex, who I'm interviewing this weekend, and then he, then he's going to interview me, which is going to be weird. Oh, that would be cool. Um, but, but <laughs> Who's going first? Oh, I'm, I'm going, I'm interviewing him first. But, but we, we've had a like, long, complicated, creative relationship as well as friend and so when you mix creativity yeah. and friendship that means that sometimes you're angry at each other mm. personally and you're taking it out through the music sometimes you're angry with each other musically and you're taking yeah. it out in the friendship yeah that's really yeah I mean I don't think any of us have really done anything creative together no I don't advise it necessarily it's the Just same with family well as a team. it's weird because we're, we're you know I don't know if I really subscribe to it but I think I do a little bit we're both we have the our birthdays are three days apart, you know. So we're both like Scorpios, day. you know. Um, and I think uh, they say, you know, two Scorpios either really get on or really don't. Yeah. <laughs> and we really get on. It's weird, actually. We've both got allotments now, and yeah, <laughs> really well, you've, awesome. yeah, you've because she was mostly talking yeah, about she's dead into allotments yeah, and I'm stuff, so and you're doing her, that yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, well, it's weird. I'm turning into my mother. I think we all do a little bit turn into. But do you not think that what happens is you get old enough to just admit that you like the things that they like, yeah, and then you yeah, and you go yeah, fuck yeah, it. Yeah, no, no, you no, know, I actually, think there's part of it that's that. I think because you're cooking a lot and you're and you're doing the allotment, and um, that is kind of. I think she'd admit I'm a better cook than her. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't say that. Um, I no, can't I, comment I love, on that. I love cooking. <laughs> actually, that's one. You know, talking about what I do now and what I'm gonna. You know, when when Lily goes to school and stuff. You know, what am I gonna do? I think that's really creative cooking. I love it. I like the science of it as well. But actually, I have to say, since having the allotment, there's nothing like cooking with your own shit. Yeah. You know, because you've grown it. And River it Cottage Garden better. style, yeah. Well, you yeah, a like little him. bit. A bit more rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. He gets drunk on cider and drinks that's on true. the stage, doesn't I'd he? I'd quite like to make my own cider. I might make some oh, um, dams, and, dams and vodka this year, I think. Oh, nice. That might be the thing but yeah I do like going to the allotment and again it's a physical I love physical stuff you yeah know? but physical stuff where you can see I think it's really important in any job you do to be able to see the impact you have I think when you do performance like you do yeah I think you see uh, you, you get instant gratification yeah because you can see the impact you've had and that's a similar thing like digging a plot of earth yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i know that sounds really no strange. no i believe it you know at the moment particularly in my life at the moment i think i need to have things that, that you know make me see that because it's hard you know like like i said before you know being being a kid you don't always see the hard work you put in you know yeah. keeping a house or well, doing it, the endless there's no end points is there? that's the point it's an it's yeah, an ongoing exactly. thing you won't see the end well, result ever because they're I'll all growing that, up the allotment is a never-ending thing as well because you dig a plot of earth and then the weeds come but, but it, it has a magical regular thing. it's a magical stops, thing um where you can kind of you know work on something and really see it and then grow something you know and see it grow and then eat it and it's, it's seasonal as well isn't i love it, it. I mean, yeah that's, a, that's another thing about it that, yeah. that, that means that i think i don't know i think i mean i don't i mean people can think i'm hippie or i don't care i mean i think there is something about eating the food that was supposed is supposed to grow oh, at that time and, and and it's the, oh, it's at its best isn't it as absolutely. well it tastes nice, yeah and yeah and i totally believe that about eating happy meat you know i believe that about anything, you yeah. know, anything that's kind of been nurtured as, as it should be. 
Yeah, I it's wish I could good. afford to eat happy meat more often. You, know, you would have loved this place we went in the summer. Amazing, amazing meat. I do for Christmas. There's a place yeah. um, up where near I, where I used to work in Oakwood in Enfield, where I, there's an organic butcher there. Yeah. And I organic meat. I, I go. I've, the last two Christmases, I've got the the bird from there and also mm -hmm. the other meat from there. And it's, I like. It is like you say. It's a big long tube journey between yeah. the two places, but I don't care. It is prohibitively expensive, and I think that's one of the key problems. Yeah, is that people expect me pretty much every day of the week you know yeah definitely it's well, true isn't it some uh, days know, i eat do. three different kinds of meat in a day but it's yeah crazy but that's world. bloody expensive way to I live know, for everyone I mean, for everything. um yeah and <laughs> um, so i think this kind of culture of having everything as much as you want you know all the time i mean i sort of think what's the point of eating shit meat yeah i'd rather eat you know a nice lentil stew <laughs> Now this is me yeah, sounding like my mum yeah, again, yeah. but I do sort of like maybe you said like what you said, you know maybe it is a a point where you grow to realise, you know I guess for me a mentality when I was young when I was a teenager was get as fucked as possible, you know yeah. do as much damage to yourself stay up all night drink yourself silly you know go and just do everything to the extreme and never mind the consequence you know but I think now particularly having kids but also you know you sort of you go older and you look at yourself in the mirror and you go, okay, the consequences on my body yeah. or on the way I feel. Well, you can't do it forever as well. I mean, no, it, no, you, I no. think you, but then you choose it more rarely. But then I used to be disappointed when I couldn't have those things, when I couldn't, you know, be wild. Yeah. But actually I'm far more satisfied now about the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm happier in the fact that I don't feel I need to do that anymore. I don't think being wild all the time makes you happy it doesn't does it? suit me that much anymore being wild i just think when you sort of end up just looking like a knob really yeah you're trying to be wild when you're 17 you can be wild and you look like a knob but no one really minds you well know? yeah everyone else looks like a knob <laughs> at the when same time you know, yeah and when you're in the 30s you just look like a real knob you know most people are sort of being quite well behaved really yeah i think there's a you know i think there's a balance and i think you you you, you walk it well of you know not being <laughs> you. you know not being too yeah not losing the good things about being wild yeah that's the trick yeah. it's like getting a balance because i think yeah i think yeah. also when you have young young children you really can't be wild yeah. because you're just knackered all the time because your lifestyle is such that it's dominated by them you can't kind of you know have a few days to recover because yeah. literally the next day you know they're up you've got to deal with them and what they need and well what i mean i can't i can't find the days to recover just working Without a job yeah, exactly. and if I had exactly. kids there's no way yeah. I could do it but yeah. I know people who can oh yeah I know people yeah. with two kids and um, my You're mate my, hard, yeah, yeah. My, yeah, yeah, my, yeah my mate George who was on the podcast he he, he, he drinks quite a lot yeah he, I don't think he would mind me saying that yeah and it doesn't it's not a problem for him it's not a problem yeah. for him and he, he's a good dad and he, he fits it around but I mean it's just so it's what you can cope it's who with, you suppose, are isn't it, it? Yeah. some people can do it I'm not as hardcore as I used to be. Well, I, I mean, you know, I yeah, I mean, I guess I I had the same thing for a bit. I sort of was like, well, am I as cool as I used to be and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think you weigh things up, don't you? As you get older, there are periods in your life where you weigh things up. And my mum did denied that she said this the other day, but I said it to her. She, I'm sure when I was younger, I thought it was her, but someone said to me, when you reach 30, you realise you'll never be a pop star. And when you reach 40, you realise you'll never marry a pop star. You know, <laughs> and I think there's a kind of element, I think there are periods like midlife crisis, call it what you like. Yeah. It's not midlife, is it? Well, but everyone's there are living longer of time right you now. Think, You've got to remember well, yeah, that. Yeah, but also there are periods of time where you 
you have to you look at yourself and who you were and who you are now and where yeah. you're going and you kind of go okay who am I because before I was that person then life has just taken over and now I'm here and what am I doing and am I enjoying it and all of those yeah. things well that's what I'm doing that's what <laughs> this, was, this yeah. what, that's what this show is I'm, I'm looking at myself and going mm. um, and it's funny like things like I've started smoking again and <laughs> that's not something you're supposed to do to to f be yourself you know you're not supposed to do the bad but things you, but that but suits me at the I moment think? it suits me do you know it? what I think and it's what I was saying to you earlier about um, you know you never give up if you're enjoying it but I think also part of the giving up smoking giving up you know hating parts of yourself or who you are yeah. beating yourself up all the time about these things you know you shouldn't yeah. do or you should and I and I do think you know yes obviously smoking is really bad for you and obviously lots of things are really bad for you you know but if if you're not in a bad place. I don't really see the, you know, yeah, if, you're, it. if it's making you miserable. Exactly. <laughs> you know, what about everything in moderation? You know, like, yeah. I think I'm a big believer in I wish that, I could yes. do moderation a bit well, better. Well, yeah, yeah, I say that. <laughs> <laughs> I say that. And, yeah, I'd, like I, um, to, I'd like to be a moderate cigarette smoker, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a strong like not not me moderate now now we talk about smoking now you're going to roll a cigarette, cigarette. no but I'm alright I mean I smoke socially much more than if I if I wasn't you know drinking or or you know having a chat or a coffee or yeah. stuff like that I would probably smoke maybe one or two fags a day possibly three for me it was a big break from a baby thing I gave up completely when I was pregnant with Lily yeah but then I when she was about eight weeks nine weeks old I just um, it became you know my my escape from that domination you know my i went away completely and it was kind of something i could do on my own i, I mean, guess well i think psychologically for me smoking represents a little bit and people i know i know loads of my friends who really disapprove of smoking so they'll just have to uh fast forward this bit but <laughs> for me smoking i love smoking it's it's i really really like that's the it. thing you know it's pleasurable um and <laughs> you know I, I i weigh up the pros and cons everything has risk in life but but never mind all that argument for me at the moment smoking sort of represents fine tuning myself because i think i was getting to a point where i was going too far the other way in and some then, ways you know, not not being myself yeah like it you, you've trying got, to be this person that you know you yeah. think you should be. You've got to find a, a place that in the middle need, because yeah, when you're yeah. a teenager, you're not being yourself either. No. But nor are most adults. So you really need to find the middle are you way. Spider-Man or Superman, Dave? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you've got to work it out. Because if you don't, you know, could be all, all ends of trouble for you. <laughs> well, that's true. And but I also think, like you say, when you when you when you sort of reach thirty, you're sort of it's kind of what you were, we were saying about you becoming like your mum or me becoming like my mum or my dad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I see both of them in me. Um, <laughs> and I, you have to deal with it. It's a fact. And so you have to... You, and you get to a point where you're like, well, it's going to be there for the rest of my life. So I can, I can think this stuff is nonsense and trying to... Like, therapy and stuff is nonsense. I mean, and I do still kind of think that. That's why I'm not in therapy. I'm doing a show. But... but um, it's a form of therapy. But it definitely, is, it definitely therapy. is. It definitely I is. It definitely is you know, talking is therapy. So whatever way you find some, the way to talk, some people need to go and talk to a professional person who'll ask them the right questions. Some people just need to sit in a room with a load of people they find interesting. You know, whatever it is, yeah. it's all therapy. And actually, you know, tr truth is, however hard, you know, I, I personally think it's really important to be as honest with yourself and the world around you as you can. Um, so, so did you have a sort of similar thing? I mean, 
when you turned 30? I mean, I, I know the number's meaningless. It started for me um, when I was 29, but... What, you mean like a midlife crisis kind of thing? I don't think it's a crisis. So much or like a an event, reassessment. Yeah. No, mine came when I was about 18 and I was trying to work out my my uh, feelings about my father. I had one then as well. I think oh, yeah, is, well, maybe... The second well, one. Did I have one at 30? And I wrote a lot of poetry when I was 18 and tried to get him to understand how I felt, you know, and all that stuff. Maybe that was more you of gave a teenage it to, Did you give it to him? Yeah. He told me it was self-indulgent shit. Did he? Fuck. <laughs> yeah, it was a fucking nightmare. And in the end, we had two or three very upsetting, horrible meetings about it. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, he eventually admitted that it was just... It really hurt his feelings. Like, it really upset him, you know. But it probably was self-indulgent. Of course it was self-indulgent shit. I was 18 and I was trying to express something that was really hard for me to express. It was, it was very self-indulgent because, you know, it was me trying to get my therapy if you like but you should I think I mean I, I, I wrote a play about my, my family and gave it them all to read <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell that's pretty heavy no uh, he, he said it was vicious those were his words it was vicious uh, and it was probably it was called Lark Falling well it was probably was vicious but then sometimes you feel vicious and <sighs> parents have to do oh, I did feel too, vicious I was really up, I was really angry with him um, and now it, I don't know. But he has but, to acknowledge his own part within the. Well, he kind of did you know? did acknowledge it, but you know, uh, it's a weird situation. You know, I think um, he finds he he finds it really hard to think about the life before the life he has now. I think you know, in order to enjoy the life he has now, he has to sort of put the other life in a box because I don't think it's easy for him right. to deal with it. Yeah. Um, because he's got a new family. After mm. your family, perhaps. but also I think you know, he kind of dwells on his own self-indulgent shit also, and I think you know deep down he he he's dealing with his feelings his own, about the situation, yeah. um, and well, I feel like I've expelled my feelings to him. But, you know, he knows how but, I feel. But he's dealing so. with the stuff that he feels about his dad and his his mum as well. I mean, everybody is. This is what I realised because I interviewed my mum, yeah, and I kind of had this big epiphany which will come out on the show at some point. Okay. You know, the thing that made me sort of completely forgive her for the minute, who knows what I'll feel in 20 years. Yeah. We all change. but And, and not even forgive her, like recognise that there wasn't even anything to see forgive. See her as a grown-up and see her because as a normal person. she's just trying to get through life. Trying to get and by, I'm trying to yeah. get through life. And, 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 and when I was 18, I didn't get that. When I wrote no. that play, no, I wanted you, her to... I wanted, I mean, because my, Mervyn, my stepdad, he, yeah. he apologised to me as a result of that. Uh, but m m mum didn't, but she did, she did, we did talk about it, but she didn't apologise. And that, and I, and you know, when I talked to her, she very correctly said, you know, well, you know, I can't, you know, how can you apologise for who you are? You know, in, in a way, that's true. That is so true. Yeah. You can try and... Yeah. And she did try. Oh, she always tried yeah. to be a better person yeah. than she was. And, and she and she, I think she's a very good person as well. I mean, yeah. there's sides of her that aren't. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to sort of say no, anything negative no. about her. No, no, of course. But I think um, it's a strange relationship I have with my dad now. You know, it's not resolved in the sense that we are as a father and daughter should be I don't feel yeah it's a very strange relationship but I don't feel generally as affected by it as I did when I was younger yeah um I do still feel affected by it sometimes I think that never goes away yeah. uh 
But actually, I'm not sure I want, I don't want to go to there again, oh, actually. Right. Okay. The other thing is, um, in terms of trying to deal with it with him and make him understand, my, I really feel that, you know, he probably deep down knows and gets it. And I don't really want to cover that ground again with him. Well, that's, that's the it's other thing It's too painful, you know. You know. can't really be, be asked being sad, you know. There's a part of me that's like, well... What's the point of that? Wallowing so my own. Well, so for me, know, for me, all it really is 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 it's about trying to deal with, like, stop saying, "Well, I'm being like my mum, and that's my mum's fault," and start saying, "Well, I'm being like my mum, and that's my fault." And, and how I'm recognising it, and how can how I be can different? I be different? Yeah, and how absolutely. can I how, how can I change the way that I interact with people to be. Yeah. the best of my mum's qualities because yeah. I've got some great qualities from my mum as I well. I certainly think also the other thing is is the way that it affects you in in the sense that it makes you behave differently. I think I kind of perhaps my penchant for <laughs> uh, social, you know, wanting to please people socially yeah. is, is stems from kind of as a child feeling quite, you know, not really, I always wanted to please or, you know, be accepted by my dad. And, you yeah. know, that was a lot to do with my feelings and what I was trying to deal with. And I think, you know, that probably affected the way I feel about other people and their perception of me and yeah. trying to make other people happy all the time and stuff, you know. I don't think that's a bad thing, actually. I mean, well, it's fucking exhausting sometimes, maybe. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. I have a similar thing, Being I think, constantly, trying you know, to, trying to be positive all the time. Yeah, that is the role that you, you t- sort of... T- take within things yeah. but I mean I think it's one that you get a lot out of as well I, as it makes me feel good better yeah yeah, yeah exactly. and that's something you share with your mum yeah. it also means when I'm saying. in a bad mood it fucking everybody knows it you know yeah and it I makes have, it hard for other people I have that unfortunate quality of uh, when I'm in a bad mood everybody knows like it a great cloud over the house yeah I mean I went to see some I went to I went to see the theatre the other day and I didn't like the show and every, everybody <laughs> that was with me liked it and like when oh. they came out, everyone was like coming up to me and saying, "What did you think of it?" And then they were like, "You hated it, didn't you?" And I didn't want to say because I knew it was inappropriate, and everyone just knew I hated oh. it. And it's just, I can't hide. Mm. And I think you know that's that's kind of what you're. I think. Well, no, I think I can. Maybe hide you stuff. can actually. I think I don't know. probably I'm. I'm. You know, being superwoman or uh, Shira. <laughs> I don't know. I think you know probably playing a role, but it's it's a role that I mean I think someone, someone once said to me, "If you're feeling sad." When you walk down the road, if you're feeling really unhappy, wherever you are, just try and physically smile. If you smile, it makes you feel happy. It makes you, it, your body releases endorphins, whatever. Yeah. And it's really true. And I think sometimes, you know, even if you are playing a role in a social situation, being a social butterfly, whatever, yeah. it can make you feel happy. Well, that smiling thing as well, one of the things I've found about that, because I try that sometimes, I don't, yeah. you know. Um, it works for me. Well, it does. Um, but what I like about it as well is if you smile at people, like yeah, strangers. that's great. There was this young young so black nice. boy walking down the road the other day, and I just think, you know, obviously everything that's gone on recently in London with the riots and all of those things, and you know how how young people are perceived. And I was standing at a bus stop, and this young boy came walking towards me, kind of moody face on him, and I just grinned at him, and he smiled, this huge oh. smile back, and it was such a nice vibe because I just thought, you know, you know, I'm not threatened by you, you know, I don't think you're going to mug me or you know, and. Just and just even on just on a on a just a personal level, thing, because yeah. connecting with this person, but also he there was like a real look of surprise, like happy surprise in his face that yeah. I was smiling at him. Well, I do that. I I deliberately I smile at youths as well, actually, mm. for the same. I do that. Groups of them, yeah, 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 like yeah. big groups of youths who like actually could be quite intimidating if you let them. 
if you let if you you know let yourself feel that way because they're big yeah. and you know you, they're all looking really moody but actually if you smile at them they either think you're mad or think you're really nice yeah you know? absolutely <laughs> so yeah no. I, do, I think it's important that people try and you know it's an old-fashioned thing but you know saying good morning and all of that stuff you know i'm a firm believer in in that, See, know, I'm I'm to... I'm so I'm so I, I just flitter about. Like sometimes <laughs> I think that's great and I do that, and other times I'm like want to be in my bubble and I don't want no, to that's con- cool connect too. to any that's human cool beings. That's cool too. Well, that's what headphones are for. Yeah, you know that's fine. But you know I do think it's nice if if you walk down the street, you know, to feel that people are generally sort of looking out for each other and smiling. Yeah, totally. Shiny, happy people. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> The thing that you were saying about She-Ra and uh, Spider-Man and yeah. Superman, you was, you told me off, Mike, before we started, yes, yes. that that was My something uncle. that your uncle said yeah. to you, who's an Australian. Well, no, he's not Australian. Oh, right, but he, he lives in Australia. He lives in Australia. He moved to Australia when he was 18. I think he was 18. He's 60-odd now. And a lot of your fam, that side of your family, mm. the side that I have... Because, I mean, your mum is my half-sister, so yes. technically you're my half-niece. So yes. You, and I've never met that those people no, in Australia. No. And you spent quite a lot of time yeah, in well, Australia. Yeah, my grandparents moved out there when I was seven, and my auntie, who's no longer with us, but she took me and my cousin, and her and her husband took me and my cousin out there when we were... No, what am I talking about? That's rubbish. That was the second trip. <laughs> the first trip, my dad took us. My dad took us out to see his brother when I was seven and then my grandparents moved out when I was must have been older than seven eight or nine and that was with my my cousin's parents my auntie and uncle yeah I've done five trips and what's Australia like well as a kid it was just you know amazing beach cousins to play with you know great fun didn't really you know pay much attention you know it was just a really fabulous hot because it's such a beautiful place it yeah it is well I only did like we only went to the west yeah and when I was little, we only went to Geraldton or Perth, which was where the family were. But um, when I was 15, parent, I went out for five weeks for the whole summer holiday, for five weeks with my my grandparents, who both now deceased, my dad's mum and dad. Um, and we did a trip from their house, which was south of Perth, right up to... We didn't we didn't get to the top, but we did a, a trip up and down the, the west coast. Pretty amazing. I mean, we saw some amazing things. We saw kind of... Uh, I walked in the water with wild dolphins and we yeah, saw beaches made entirely of tiny tiny white shells you know poisonous snakes uh, you know mad mines and all sorts of crazy you know termite hills taller than this room and wow. crazy things but there were also some really weird weird negative places you know just sort of places you didn't get a good vibe about weird sort of towns like like something out of saw you know like sort of scary towns where people were a bit strange and a bit it was just Insular. there was just wow there was just weird vibes there was there was one particular town that we drove through and I we stopped we were caravanning so you know we were sort of choosing where to stop along the way I mean they had a a map where they wanted to go and we had ideas where we were going to stop but you know there were a few places we just sort of stopped and stayed and we were supposed to be staying at a campsite in this town I said to my grandmother I just don't I really don't like this place I don't like the vibe I don't I was fifteen I don't think I said I don't like the vibe but I didn't want to stay. And I, you know, this sounds really pretentious. It sounds like, oh, you know, ooh, I'm so in touch with the sort of spiritual thing. But um, apparently, there had been some kind of terrible Aboriginal massacre there, oh, <laughs> or some, you know, some terrible atrocities had occurred. And it was yeah, it just, it was just a really weird vibe. And my grandmother, she always thought she was very spiritual. You know, she thought she had dreams. She, you know, she thought she had premonitions about things. <laughs> 
but yeah it was a weird thing and I genuinely felt a physical dislike of, of that particular town and there were I mean there were a lot of racism a lot of people who were very ignorant in in those kind of towns inland yeah but then I mean, a I lot guess... of amazing really really you know lovely people as well um, I know that certainly my cousins had a lot of had to encounter a lot of, of, of racism when they were at school and stuff they were quarter caste aborigine because my uncle much to my grandparents disgust I think married a mixed race aboriginal woman when he was so he phoned them from Australia when he was like 20 and said you know I'm going to get married to this woman and she's mixed race aboriginal they went no you're not <laughs> went, yeah I am <laughs> and he did and I mean they pretty much live off the land you know they uh, I think he hunts dingo and stuff for the local farmer and they shoot their own their own meat and uh, keep keep farm animals and they also foster aboriginal children they're emergency foster carers so and there's a lot of problems within the aboriginal community with alcohol yeah, yeah they kind of take kids babies and you know ranging ages when there's you know real, real problems kind of emergency care so oh, in the middle of the night they'll get a phone call and you know that's a really nice thing to do uh yeah i think it's pretty hardcore i mean it's, they're not saints you know yeah. they're <laughs> pretty fucking hardcore but they but they are good people people yeah. of the earth you know it really is very much like that my uncle worked, I think he he drove around most of the time when he was working, when he was younger, he he, he drove around for BT and fixed kind of communication lines all around the country, you know, so you'd go off trucking. <laughs> he's a big hairy bloke with a beard, you know, he's a proper Aussie. Yeah. He's great. I really liked him when I saw him last. And then the last time I saw them was when my grandfather had had a bypass. My grandmother was very ill and couldn't care for him when he came out of hospital. So I think it was the year before Jess was born. It must have been 2002. So I was an adult. I was 25, something like that. And my auntie, my great auntie, paid for me to go out there to care for my grandfather while he was recuperating after his operation. And they kept loads of chickens. And I really don't fucking like chickens. <laughs> well, actually, I, I, I don't fucking I've like birds. I don't like birds. Chicken. I really don't like birds. But chickens and... So, like, one of my jobs, because obviously he'd come back from the hospital, he's, you know, not really doing anything. But, I mean, you know, not doing anything to the point of being quite rude, you know, but I'd cook him a beautiful dinner and put it in front of him and he wouldn't even thank me, you know. I was like the fucking scullery maid. But on top of being a scullery maid, for two weeks on my own in a house with two elderly people who needed 24-hour care, I was looking after the fucking chickens. (laughs) (laughs) And I say fucking chickens because they were little fuckers. They, um... There was this one particular breed. I had to go in there and collect eggs and uh, feed them. Um, but there was this one particular breed called Silkies. And they've got, like, they're big and sort of... Their feathers are very thin, so they look um, like a big pom-pom on legs. <laughs> and then on their feet, they've got these feathers as well. Um, and they're really aggressive. And I, um, I got attacked by one of these birds. <laughs> and... Uh, tried to kick him and he just carried on coming you know I mean I just uh, I don't understand I not get it eggs you know and all that but why anyone would want to keep these particular breed of chickens <laughs> so yeah it was that was fairly horrific so I went out there to do this and look after the chickens and look after the grandparents but my one bit of respite in that holiday was to I got on a, a small plane and um, went up up the coast to see my uncle and his family and it was two days of heaven, you know, just being with normal people and driving around in his truck. And it was a real eye-opener, actually. I mean, he was saying to me, you know, 
in terms of the racism and stuff like that that they've encountered I mean it, it was less than a hundred years ago that well I suppose it might be more than a hundred years now because we're a few years on from when he said it but um less than a hundred years ago that people were hunting aboriginals for sport you know yeah, that's right. I mean it's a very fucking weird country yeah, um, yeah and it's very young in terms of its uh, culture but I do think that the world is developing far quicker I mean I remember when I was a child going over there and they they didn't have the same chart music as us and me thinking it, they were really behind you know they had this behind <laughs> chart music but of course now we've got the internet that doesn't happen anymore literally you know we're all listening to the same thing worldwide yeah that's true um so and yeah that's can get access it, it had to changed. stuff can't they as yeah. well like kids can find access to different yeah. ways of thinking than their parents yeah, are bringing exactly. them up with as well yeah. so there is that yeah. element to it for good definitely. or real you know, no, but it had changed what i'm thing. saying is like um it had changed definitely in the period when i went when i was 15 to when i was 10 years to yeah. 25 no that makes sense but there were still kind of ignorant people well, that's interesting. <laughs> no, I'm not saying all oh, Australians no, are no, no. you know, at all. But your experience was my experience you know, was like there that. were there were pockets of, there were pockets, and I'm sure it's the same of the same, states. Same in deep south, and I tell you what, it's England. the same in England. Yeah, it exactly. is the same in England. And there were pockets. I mean, you know, places in Cornwall where you find people who yep. are properly like that. There are, you there know. are places all yeah, around the yeah, UK. Yeah, yeah, and like I'm. That. I mean, that, that's really interesting to know, really, because all I sort of knew about your experiences of Australia was the fact that you sort of swam with dolphins and had, saw all these amazing yeah, things, which I was like, wow, I wish I'd seen. Yeah, I did have a really good time. I mean, so having I said that, when you're dolphins. 15, five weeks with two elderly relatives, no matter That's where you are, can get a little bit. And I, I remember that, I, yeah, I was reading, exactly. I was reading uh, Ben Elton books. You know, I was kind of, I just used to remember going, going into the into the um, caravan and just wanting to be away from them because <laughs> 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 you know it's hard hardcore doing that when you're 15. Yeah. Actually, so I, I mean, it, it was yeah. great on one level. And I'm, what an amazing experience and all of those things. In other ways, it was hard work. You know? in, in a way, I mean, it's good to have experiences that have mixed mixed of these two kind yeah. of things because that's, that's true, isn't it? That's what, yeah. that's what the world And actually, be. that was the summer before I met Jess Green. Oh. I came back, I think I was, I came back from that holiday and it was that kind of autumn that I hooked up with her again and became friends and that whole scene friendship, started. the whole scene started, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's really good. Well, the last question that I ask people is just, um, do you have anything that you'd like to plug? And people, plug. yeah, <laughs> but people interpret that in lots of different ways. Uh, so, <laughs> my two-year-old's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's, many that's, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I mean, some. I mean, obviously, some people have got things that they want to promote. But other people, they just sort of say a kind of final thought or a kind of thing they'd like to say to people. So um, Eric Davison said no, he's, not, he's got nothing to plug. So we've had all, 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 all reactions. Positivity, you know, I just think, I guess the cup is half full, you know. Try and, as long as, I mean, I think your dad taught me that. Yeah, you know, Try and look at life like, be a realist, you know, but also be romantic with it, you know. Yeah. Well, that's a great, that's a great play. I love that one. <laughs> there you go. Be realist, romance and romance, reality and, and positivity. There you Fantastic. go. Fantastic. <laughs> well, it's been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you, you Sonia. And the last thing I ask people to do is, uh, well, ask them if they want to say, would you like to say goodbye to the audience? Goodbye, um. audience. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye.
can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter, at GBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook, it's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website, www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk. You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app that you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the App Store. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted. Coming up next week on Getting Better Acquainted, on Wednesday we have Joe. Joe is my sister and Sonia's mum, who is referred to a bit in the conversation that you just heard. On Friday, we're going to have a GBA special, which will feature Joe, it'll feature Sonia, it'll feature my dad, it'll feature my brother, it'll feature a whole branch, a whole side of the family, and it'll give you an idea of how we all connect together, and it'll also talk about some events that had a big impact on my dad and his children. So that's the GBA special coming up next Friday. So it's a little bit of a kind of season, family season now. We had a few on podcasts and podcasting and audio and a few weeks back. Now we've got a few that are kind of personal and connected to my close family.